Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the triathlon season over, it's time to start planning for next year. Set your course on the path to success with TriJoy. Let's have a chat, look at your results, set some goals, and work to achievement. See the TriJoy link on the FitSpeak homepage. We're also brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Here is your Wenting's Word of the Week. It is spin. Once again, the Wenting's Word of the Week is spin. Mention that word to the staff the next time you're at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. One more time, your Wenting's Word of the Week is spin. On our program this time, we're going to jar your memory with the Fit Tip of the Week. We're going to get into the world of long-distance cycling. Surrey's Megan Hakkinen is our guest interview. But first off, let's take a look at some of the most impressive athletic performances of the week. Fall is, of course, running season here in the Fraser Valley, and there's two races we're serving up race results for. First off, on Saturday, October 13th, was the Cultus Lake Give or Take Trail Races. Winning the overall for the 30K division was Dynamo Karen Thibodeau in 2 hours and 38 minutes. Mike Hannon got silver in 2 hours and 51 minutes. And 6 minutes back in third was Fitzbeak friend, Langley firefighter, and overall nice guy, Dwayne Foley. In the 60-kilometer event, that's two loops around the course, the overall winner was Matthew Schneider in 7.09. One hour back in second place, Matt Slightquitz, and getting bronze was Robert Eldridge. Finally, there was a relay division, and winning the mixed relay was a team called the Dirty Duo of Leanne Parker and Brent Zeffley. The women's team event was won by Lori and Reagan Bogue, and the men's relay gold went to Kevin Barata and Brandon Jones. Over in Pitt Meadows, there was the third annual Athletes in Kind 5K and 10K races. Let's take a look at the overall winners. First off, for the 10K, the gold was 40-year-old Dave Clark, who just squeaked in under 40 minutes. Second was the young speedster Maggie Graydon in 42 minutes, and just 30 seconds behind was her dad, Sean Graydon. In the 5K, the gold was captured by the young Boston Migno in just over 19 minutes. One minute back in second was teenager Emma Graydon, and completing the youth sweep of the 5K was Maple Ridge's Sam Pitsy in 21 minutes and 5 seconds. If you're like most FitSpeak listeners, you've probably ridden your bike for more than just a few miles. Maybe you've done a 40-kilometer time trial. Maybe you've done a 90K half Ironman ride. Maybe you've done a century ride, like the Prospera Grand Fondo. And maybe you've done the ride out to Baker, back home to Maple Ridge, and then out to Pitt Lake, just to add a few more miles. And all those are pretty amazing accomplishments. But then there's Surrey's Megan Hakkinen. 50% human, 50% creative writer, and 150% biking machine. And although she's not very old, she's likely put in more miles than the entire Fitspeak crew of Kevin Watt, Zach Neufeld, and myself combined. For her, an 8-hour bike ride is just another day at the office. And it's a pretty scenic office, having cycled across Canada, the United States, and most recently Europe. 
Megan's latest adventure is training for the world's 24-hour time trial championships in Bodega Springs, California. In this Fitspeak interview, Kevin Watt, our cycling guy, talks to Megan about her experiences on the road, how she got into the world of long-distance cycling, and her motivations for getting into the sport. And live from the sunny skies and sandy beaches of Southern California, she's been lapping up the sun and she's been laughing at us nonstop. Here is Megan. Megan, how's it going there in San Diego tonight? Uh, I can't complain. It's warm and sunny and I can hear the ocean. And we're all very envious of you because uh, I just got off my bike about 45 minutes ago and it's not as bad as the weather was in Calgary, but I, I do believe I'm suffering a little bit of frostburn on my fingers. Um, Ooh. How's your frostburn? My frostburn? I have a little bit of sunburn on my nose and my cheeks, but uh, that's about it right now. Well, well, we like you anyways, Megan. Megan, um, one of our producers here at Fitspeak, Kevin Watt, said you got to have a Fitspeak interview with Megan. She's a ultra-long-distance cyclist. Wonderful that we finally got a hold of you, so I'm going to hand over the reins of the interview right now to my sidekick kevin watt uh kevin and megan take it away all right well welcome to the podcast and i appreciate uh you reaching out to me uh last week uh to talk about your new and upcoming races uh to get everybody up to speed uh megan hackenden finished the trans am race uh last year 2017 she rode from astoria oregon all the way over to yorkton virginia i believe that's 4,500 miles and she completed that in 24 days 22 hours uh that's pretty impressive uh and by the way uh for the female listeners uh on fitspeak uh megan is a 33 year old uh long distance endurance cyclist and i placed 24th so that felt good 24 days 24th place it all kind of um wraps up nicely i think yeah it's pretty amazing so you just finished uh a new big race correct yeah so i did a, a race in europe it was called the north cape tarifa um bike adventure um and it went from north cape norway to tarifa spain so the most northern road in europe to the most southern road in europe through the highest passes of the alps the pyrenees and the highest paved road in spain I wish I could tell you how great I did, but I actually scratched after 4,100 kilometers. So I, uh, yeah, I did more than half of it and I finished the rest of it at touring pace. But the part that I did ride was amazing. Um, we started in North Cape, Norway um, on summer solstice, middle of the night, midnight to full on sunlight. It was really cold though. And cycled through Finland, um, took the ferry to um, Estonia and cycled through the Baltic countries. Czech Republic and Poland, Germany, and then made it to Austria where I scratched. I actually had done that race with a, um, a race partner, Matthias, who I met during the Trans Am. And we, uh, yeah, we scratched for a variety of reasons. It was, uh, it was pretty tough. There was a lot of gravel, some really challenging weather. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was just so stoked to be in Europe, to be cycling in these new roads and seeing these like Gothic churches and different landscapes I was just really I was okay with scratching because I knew I could keep riding in Europe and kind of slow down enjoy the espresso enjoy the swim spots so I 
finished the route, but I was not racing the second half. So that's that's what I did this summer. And then I spent a few weeks cycling in Germany and Switzerland and France. I did a few six, uh, 600 kilometer brevets. Um, they weren't sanctioned. I just kind of found the routes on the internet and rode them and really enjoyed the, the challenge of riding these routes within the set time limit of the brevet. Um, and cycling in Europe was awesome. Lots of you know, twisty, windy back roads. You're riding in the middle of the night with uh, cowbells ringing in the distance and um, just a very different atmosphere than my experiences cycling in Saskatchewan where the, you know, the roads that I'm on as a road cyclist are a lot busier. Um, they're, it's more of a grid system. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed cycling in Europe and the climbs. The terrain was awesome. So let me just back it up a little bit for the Fitspeak listeners. The ride that you did in Europe, when did that start? What month was that? On uh, June 20th. Tell the listeners what uh, scratched means. Oh, so scratch means you decide not to finish the event. My race partner and I were both really suffering from um, saddle sores. We were not sleeping enough. We thought we would be quicker and then we'd hit these gravel stretches and we'd just be pounding the gravel on our road bikes and... Uh, we we were both pretty miserable, which isn't a good excuse, but it's, it's the excuse that we used. Mm -hmm. So we stopped in Bergenz, Austria. We stayed at an Airbnb for two nights, ate a whole bunch of home-cooked food in the kitchen at the Airbnb. We just really enjoyed a little bit of time out of the saddle, and then we kind of journeyed into the Alps, refreshed um, at a more, I don't know, more mild pace. We were still doing about 150, 160 kilometers a day, but that's about half the pace we had been doing. So it felt very relaxing by contrast. So Thank Megan, you. we kind of just jumped into the deep end, it sounds like. Obviously, uh, growing up in Surrey is home. That's right. Yeah, I'm a Surrey girl through and through. Now, tell, tell me your motivations to do such crazy long bike rides. How did you get into this? So when I was a university student at Simon Fraser University, two things kind of happened at the same time. Um, I just got sick of taking public transit to get to Simon Fraser from Surrey. It's a really long commute, and I just felt like I was wasting my days. So I thought that cycling might be a way so that I could enjoy my commute more. So I would bike to the SkyTrain take the SkyTrain and then take the bus instead of busing, SkyTraining and then busing. And I also had um, ACL surgery on my left knee and I started riding my bike to kind of rehabilitate and gain my strength back. And so those two things kind of pushed me into the, the cycling world as an adult. About a year after I had ACL surgery, I did a touring trip with my sister down the Pacific coast um, from northern BC into Haida Gwaii, uh, through Vancouver Island, Washington, Oregon, California, and then into Baja, California to um, Mulahe. And that was my first big cycle adventure. We had no money. We cooked all our own food. We met so many amazing people in Northern California and San Francisco, San Diego and Mexico. And that really cemented my love for cycling and the idea that it could be a great way to travel and see the world and connect with people who live in the world. So I did a few other big tours in the years following that after I graduated. I biked across Canada in 2010. I biked the Sierra Cascades to uh, Puerto Vallarta with um, my ex-partner in 2012, I think. Uh, done some shorter trips on Vancouver Island to Portland. And then I think it was maybe 2016 that I discovered Ron Deneering. 
And it was when I moved to Saskatchewan and I was doing my master's thesis. I was a grad student there. And what's and your I really, master's in, Megan? So I did a master's of fine arts in creative writing. So I, I had moved to Saskatchewan and I um, really wanted to ride my bike and ride for long distances. So I was looking for a club that would kind of allow me to do that while being a student. Like I knew that I just couldn't take off for like two months while I was in school. I knew it was going to be intensive. And then... I stumbled upon Rondoneering and I found out they had a club there. And I guess for the listeners who don't know, uh, Rondoneering is a type of endurance cycling where cyclists go out on um, events called brevets or randonnées between 200 and 1,200 kilometers um, at the local club level. It's usually 200, 300, 400, or 600 Um and so I thought, hey, this is something I can do that would be really challenging. I can do it on the weekends. Um, it provides a training goal for me. And I can get out of Saskatoon and kind of explore the countryside of Saskatchewan. That was so um, new and unfamiliar to me. Also, I didn't have a car. So otherwise, I'd be pretty trapped in the city. Um, the folks at the Rondonier Club in Saskatoon were just uh, very welcoming. And they kind of became my mentors into the ultra cycling world. Um, there was a couple, Bob and Marge, um, especially that just really showed me the ropes. They explained, you know, how to maintain efficiency by taking short breaks. Um, I did my first like night rides with them. So just kind of getting comfortable being in a strange environment at night, knowing what lights to bring, you know, knowing how much food to eat, knowing how to coordinate sleep breaks and, um, just kind of, uh, you know, have faith in yourself and, um, have faith that you're going to make it through the night, I guess. Because once it gets dark, you know, the world seems to shift a little bit and uh, they really help me kind of be prepared for that. Um, I guess I should add that in Rondoneering, there's no winners or losers. Everyone who finishes the event is a finisher mm -hmm. and it's really a sport based on camaraderie and friendship. And you have the option to ride with other people and draft, but you also have the option to just ride by yourself and pass through the control points or checkpoints on your own and, um, and not talk to anyone else in the ride if you feel like that. So I think that it's a really cool sport in that way. Um, you can kind of go either direction depending on how you're feeling and everyone's self-sufficient, but, you know, we, we help each other out. Uh, a jump into the road biking world, I guess, or the, the road, I don't know what you would call it, ultra endurance race world. So when I started rondoneering, I was just doing it on like a commuter slash touring bike that I had with like, you know, straight mountain bike handlebars. And I didn't have any bike packing kit. I zip tied makeup bags to my bike so I could carry my rain gear and my granola bars with me. It was all very like <laughs> DIY. Uh, GCN hacks here, right? Perfect. Yeah, definitely. I used like my running shoes with just those old fashioned toe cages. And um, I never used uh, clipless pedals and I didn't really want to. They kind of scared me. And I was like, I can ride 1200 kilometers in these shoes and why would I do something different and then when I graduated I was like you know what maybe I should buy a road bike maybe I should try out those fancy shoes like everyone has them how, how many uh, months or how many years were you into the cycling before you finally made the transition to clipless pedals eight years yeah eight years wow <laughs> yeah how many, I, how many i did all my tours to that point with like running shoes or sneakers i toured wow. across canada to mexico yeah yeah is that with toe clips i always felt fun and then how many pairs of shoes do you figure you went through oh not many yeah oh, interesting. I, uh, I, 
yeah, they just kind of last forever. I don't know. I guess the, the bike, you know, pedal doesn't really wear out the shoe or something. I'm not sure. Got it. So you've been doing this for eight years now. Uh, how many long distance events do you think you have done? Yeah, I've toured the Pacific Coast the Sierra Cascades, across Canada, a lot of touring in Vancouver Island um, and shorter tours. Um, I did the Swan Swan River 1200, which is a 1,200-kilometer rondinier ride in Manitoba on mm-hmm. uh, a 90-hour limit. And I did the Granite Anvil 1200 in 2017, um, and that's in Ontario, and it goes through um, Algonquin Park, and it's a it's a really beautiful, very hilly route, and it was uh, it was super fun to to do. I really enjoyed it. So tell us about some. Uh, obviously, you're doing this 24 hours a day, and you were alluding to the fact that you got into doing the riding, which of course is by necessity at the night or in the night rather. Tell us about some encounters you must have had with wildlife. I Snakes, think it's usually moose. the owls that startle me. Like an owl will just kind of fly right out in front of you, and they're not looking at you. They're like honing on on some mouse in the field. And it feels like they're like a foot away from your face, but it's probably like, you know, a car's length and they just swoop right in front of you and, you know, nosedive for whatever that prey is. And that's pretty scary. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, brings you right back to the present. If you're daydreaming, that that hits you into reality. That's um, as good as a Red Bull. Red owl. <laughs> um, and yeah, in Saskatchewan, I was really surprised by how much wildlife I saw. Lots of like muskrat, um, beavers, moose, deer. Um, yeah, lots of lots of guys out in the fields and creatures, lots of hawks and birds that I don't know the names of. And I wish <laughs> I did because there's quite a few. Yeah. And northern BC and the Vancouver Island, lots of bears for sure. That became like pretty, pretty much the norm. I always carried bear spray with me. I never used it, but um, it made me feel better when I left the house, I guess. Anything um, good in Europe? Any animals that you... Uh... Uh, like bighorn goats, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it would be bighorn goats. Yeah, in, in Spain. Um, I really enjoyed kind of the domestic animals. You'd see, um, I guess, the the shepherd with his sheep or with his goats. And, um, you know, that was something I hadn't really seen in North America. So there's some guy out in the field with his animals and they're grazing and he's just with them all day. Um, or, you know, somebody hurting some, some buddies, a few people like hurting cattle across the street, like, um, back roads. Like that was something I hadn't seen either. Just kind of stopping and waiting for all the cows to to cross. Wow. Um, oh, man. And the reindeer in Finland. Those were the best. <laughs> I love the reindeer in Finland and Norway. They look like they're wearing mascara. They're just beautiful. And they're way more chill than the deer in BC. Like, they just, like, hang out and watch you. They're not so fidgety and jumpy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was quite cool. All, lots and lots of reindeer. So you've ridden through Europe, Switzerland, France, Germany. You're in San Diego now. We've been kind of kicking around this idea of you having your... A segment for yourself on the podcast and that's because you've signed up for a new event so after not completing the uh, north cape tarifa race in europe this summer i really wanted to finish my season on a high note i didn't do any 600 rides or well i did do a couple but they weren't sanctioned um and i didn't do any 1200 kilometer brevets and so i signed up to do the world uh, time trial championships in borrego springs this october 26th and 27th and where is borrego springs uh, so it's in Southern California. It's east of LA, south of Palm Springs. 
kind of east of San Diego. So it's this really dry desert like place. The temperatures are, are super hot all year round, but by the end of October, they should be a little, little bit cooler. So have you done a reconnaissance ride of that course? I'm going on Friday. Ah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't have a car, so it's a little bit of a trek for me to get out there. But some friends down here are going to visit someone. So they've agreed to take me out there, and I'm just going to um, do laps of the, the track. It's uh, an 18-mile course, which I think is about 29 kilometers. So I'm really excited to get to see the course and get a feel for it. We're going to be arriving there about 11 in the morning, so I'll probably be there for the hottest time of the day, which I think will be uh, good so that I know what to expect um, because I think that will be, yeah, a hard time of, during the race. It's October, so it'll still probably be around 27, 30 degrees, I guess, down there? Yes, that's right. Okay, so it definitely takes the, takes the pain levels up a bit, right? So the thing you're getting yourself into, a 24-hour time trial race, have you adopted any other technology since the clipless pedals? <laughs> I have aero bars now, and I love them. They're, um, I just feel so comfortable in them. And living in Saskatchewan for the last few years, you know, you leave the city and you can just fly down the highway and just get into the aero bars, get real comfy. Yeah, so I have aero bars now. Um, I have a Garmin that uh, moving from like maps to a, a device was a big thing. Um, it's not like a Garmin Edge or something. It's like the e-tracks that people use for like hiking and everything. But right. I thought it would be good so that I could take it on kayak adventures or whatever else I was doing. Um, but just having a digital navigation system was a huge change for me. I was really afraid of using it for a long time. But I, I feel very comfortable with it now. I went to LA last weekend. I biked up there right into the middle of the city near Chinatown. I, you know, I set up my routes. I just follow them on the device. Um, it's amazing. It's like my best friend when I'm biking. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Are you on Strava? I am, yeah. Oh. I think it's uh, just my name, Megan Hakkinen. M-E-A-G-H-A-N-H-A-C-K-I-N-E-N. Okay, um, so Fit Speak listeners, if you're wanting to follow Megan, um, you can find her on Strava, which is going to be super awesome because now you can kind of check out exactly where she's at and um, the distances and stuff. And I'm sure Megan's going to be... Don't hate me for being in California. Like, please don't. <laughs> Gosh, no. Uh, you know, I would love to be down there. In fact, a few of our friends had kicked around the idea of doing like... Uh, uh, kind of a base training thing in January and we would just basically start out from Vancouver and just start riding uh, down through the states and uh, just kind of get away from uh, the crappy weather and into some nice nice sunshine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so Megan, originally from Surrey, lived in Saskatchewan, cycled all the way. Well, I guess in your world, it's not all the way. It's a little side trip to Los Angeles. So a lot of experience riding in traffic. Tell us best drivers, most courteous drivers, and the absolute scumbags that you've come across in the thousands <laughs> and thousands of uh, kilometers that you've done. I think that coming from Europe to North America was a real shock. In general, European drivers, I found to be way more respectful of cyclists. They see you as a, 
a vehicle on the road. They treat you like you belong to be there. Um, it took me a while to adjust to being able to ride on the road because there's often uh, not shoulders, so you have to ride in the road. And I rode very close to the, you know, the white line at the side, just kind of trying to make myself very skinny. And I knew that's not safe to do, but I couldn't help it. And it took a while for me to to take up space and yeah and drivers just treated me really really well in in all over Europe it took me a while to navigate roundabouts properly that was uh, a strange thing but I think I got them before I left Um, coming to California it's a little crazy down here Uh, San Diego there's bike lanes everywhere but you know when people turn right they don't look for you like they just go turn right everyone's talking on their cell phones all the time Mm. um in la it was just ridiculous there's uh so much traffic and everyone's just very distracted seeming and i didn't feel like it was the best place for cycling Mm -hmm. maybe i find that you know cycling in saskatchewan's all right i've had a few encounters at night where people pull over to say like what are you doing here you shouldn't be riding here it's dangerous and it's like Maybe you shouldn't be stopping on the road to give me crap at midnight. Maybe I feel uncomfortable right now. Maybe you're dangerous. Like, I'm not harming anyone. Who knows? Um, I'm on the shoulder. Uh, Yeah, I'm on a bike. I'm reckless. Um, So I think that you never had or never wanted, right? (laughs) Yeah, really. That's right. So, So, yeah, I think just being approached at night has been the most negative thing that's happened to me because no one wants to. a stranger talking to them in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night it's uh kind of yeah. gives you gives you the creeps right that's right i'm um, going back to the borrego springs here um being a 24-hour world time championship were, were there qualifications uh you know did you have to be able to show like uh i don't know some sort of uh proof that you can qualify or how does that all work Nah, man, you just have to pay your registration fee early. Um, <laughs> That's it, and just yeah, and just. I was a little bit surprised as well, um, mm-hmm. but it is a RAM qualifier, and I think that a lot of people who um, are serious about doing it or are serious about doing RAM will register early because they don't want to miss out on the opportunity to do the qualifier. There's an option to do a six-hour time trial, a 12-hour time trial, or a 24-hour time trial. So I think that people who are maybe a little newer to the sport might sign up for the six first. Uh, that being said, I'm sure a lot of like pretty serious athletes, you know, do the six-hour time trial as their kind of distance. Um, I think for that's me, called I really... an Ironman. More or less. Oh, is that how long it takes? Yeah. So, so yeah, well, sort six of. Six hours is a long time. Now going, the, the Borrego Springs, how much does it cost to um, uh, sign up for that one? Uh, I think my early bird fee was about 175 US, mm-hmm. and then the prices go up a little bit closer to race day. Wow, that's pretty fair. That's that's actually it's quite reasonable, right? Um, what do yeah, you? I thought so. So when you're doing this race, what are you doing for your nutrition and food and all the rest of that? Um, that stuff oh man i would love to talk about that in future podcasts because okay. i haven't quite dialed it in yet okay well that's um, good yeah i want i, I want to know the stories why haven't you dialed in what's happened what's happened yeah um well nothing's nothing's happened i guess um i've been uh i guess the thing is i've been doing these 
rides and training rides and doing intervals and stuff. And every week I go on a pace ride. So um, I go out for a certain number of hours and I try and do it at the pace I'm hoping to do at Borrego. But because they're pace rides, I have to carry everything on me. I can't stop and buy food because that takes too much time. So all of the food I carry is stuff that fits into my pockets of my jersey, which I don't think is how I'm going to do it at Borrego because I have uh, support there. So I'll be able to eat different stuff because I don't have to put it in my pocket. So right now I'm eating like basically granola bars, a couple power bars, some endurance fuel in my water, my electrolytes couple bananas so I start out with my pockets like fully loaded and I aim to get back to the house with them empty and that's that's worked out fine so far but it's not going to work out for 24 hours um so um I have a I have a pretty good stomach for digesting food and I have uh I feel like a pretty good awareness of when I need to eat and I respect the fact that you know my body is burning a lot of fuel I need to keep eating I know what it's like to bonk and uh, be underfed, mm-hmm. so um, I'm going to definitely concentrate on keeping that food coming inside of me. But with the availability to sit, not sit down and eat, but the availability to have something passed off to me that um, you know isn't in prepackaged form, like a banana or a bar, that kind of opens up some other options. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I have to consider. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you do you have a sponsor? Do you have an, uh, like? Are you a sponsored uh, athlete? Well, some my friends of mine are letting me stay in their uh, guest room in San Diego. So I say that they're my sponsors because I wouldn't be able to train for this event without being in San Diego because it's already snowed in Saskatchewan. Got so, it. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's <laughs> probably the best I can ask for is them to put up with my like super early mornings and my need for food at some, um, you know, my post ride food and, uh, and all of that stuff. We're kind of kicking around different ideas about maybe turning in this this into you know perhaps your own segment yeah i would love to kind of document this process i think it would be um i think it'd be really cool to share with other people who are maybe thinking about doing something like this or kind of on their own um like endurance challenges whether it's training for an iron man or a triathlon or thinking about doing a you know a 24-hour ride or some sort of multi-day race because a lot of the a lot of the stuff is going to be kind of similar. There'll be some crossover. Um, and I think that um, I think I've been, you know, really enjoying the training and you never know what's going to happen from week to week. Um, going to L.A. for a few days kind of threw a wrench in my schedule. I didn't, you know, didn't really train while I was there. I ate too many tacos and delicious <laughs> other things. And I went out for fancy, you know, IPAs and, and stuff like that. But I kind of, uh, I rode back to San Diego. It was like a 230 kilometer ride. And I was like, don't beat yourself up too bad, Megan. You're, <laughs> you're at least you're biking back to San Diego. Yeah, right. And well, it's not like you put any weight on, but if you did, it's probably all gone by the time you get home after that ride, right? Yeah, there was a headwind, man. I really <laughs> I really suffered on the way back. This Friday, I'm going to Borrego to do my pace ride. Um, I was supposed to do a pace ride today, but there was uh, thunderstorms threatened, and I had just gotten in from L.A. last night at like 9.30, so I thought it wasn't... It wasn't really a fair thing to set myself up for, like bad weather and being tired to start out. So I'm going to go out on Friday morning and do a four-hour ride, a pace ride, um, and then I'm going to Borrego, and then I'll do four or five hours there. So it's 
not really what I had hoped to do, but I think I'll be pretty tuckered out by the time both of them are done. Um, and next week I'm going to do some interval rides. I'm hoping to do um, a 16-hour pace ride. We'll see how that goes. I think that, you know, feeding myself for that long is going to be the real challenge. Um, and finding safe roads to bike on um, that aren't, you know, too busy with uh, kind of people coming you know, coming and going out for dinner and leaving their jobs and stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of checking out routes for that right now. So that's that's what my next week is going to look like. Are you going to take a lot of pictures for us and tag FitSpeak on Instagram and keep us in the loop and all the, all the of listeners? Of course, yeah, Good. yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, definitely. How about we uh, touch base later this week or earlier next week and we'll reconvene and you can fill us in on all the – amazing updates and uh let the listeners know how the training and um progress is moving along that sounds good thanks for chatting me okay all right fitspeak fans there you go you have megan hacknan we're gonna wrap it up now we're gonna be back in touch with her next week uh locally we have a lot of long long distance endurance uh cyclists and uh we're just itching to share this information with them. So uh, thanks again, Megan, and uh, we'll catch up with you here soon. Awesome. Thank you. Here's your FitSpeak 48 Fit Tip of the Week. This one comes to you courtesy of the Mission City Record. As you know, FitSpeak is the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. It's time to focus a bit on the wellness side, and it's something we can all benefit from, whether our thing happens to be mountain biking, trail running, or ultra swimming. In order to be the best in our specific sport and in all other aspects of our lives, we have to keep our minds sharp. Of course, one of the most critical aspects of our mind is our memory. So here comes the FitSpeak top three tips for improving or maintaining your memory. Number three, keeping active socially. Even though you might like to be by yourself some of the time, don't take a vow of silence and become a monk. Get out there on a regular basis and engage with real people. Instagram, Facebook, and other things like that may be interesting diversions once in a while, but the research says your brain craves real live social interaction with real live humans. So get out there, go for coffee or beer with your friends, work out as part of a club, or try one of the exercise classes at your local leisure center. Number two, get enough sleep. As we've said many times before here on FitSpeak, getting enough sleep is going to make you fitter, faster, sexier, and happier. And now this. Getting enough sleep, which for the most of us is probably going to be between 7 and 9 hours per day, is a major component in mental health as well. As you know, while we sleep, our brains are actually working at processing and consolidating the information received throughout the day. Give your brain the time it needs to do its work and your body the time it needs to rebuild itself. You'll probably be a nicer person to be around. And the number one FitSpeak Fit Tip of the Week for maintaining and improving your memory is minimizing stress. Some stress in life is good, but that extra cortisol that you give yourself when you're overloaded with stress not only eats away at your immune system, but it can also impact brain functions, which in turn can impair your memory. What do you do to reduce your stress level? Yoga? Pictures of koala bears? Relaxing music? A phone call to a loved one? 
Whatever your anti-stress trigger is, remember to pull it before the stress shoots you down. Your memory will thank you for it. That's it for the Fit Tip of the Week. Our three suggestions to improve your memory. Number three, keep hanging out with other people and not just on the internet. Number two, do what it takes to maintain between seven and nine hours of sleep per day. And number one, reduce your stress levels. Join us next time on FitSpeak when Zach Neufeld will be back for another segment of Between the Ears. In the meantime, I'm off for a relaxing bubble bath with my pet koala bear. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wentings in Mission. Your Wentings word of the week is spin. And also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multisport. Take your first step to the finish line by starting with TriJoy. Check the link at the bottom of this page to get things rolling. Be listening next time when Kevin Watt will be back for his social media shoutouts. We'll check in with first-time Ironman athlete Jen Burns. And Zach Newfeld is back for his segment called Between the Ears. For all of us at Fitspeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.